welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Our government's about to spill the beans on what they know about UFOs. Should they? What would disclosure, quote-unquote, mean for human society? Hello, and welcome to the 686th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those revealing questions came from my co-host, dad, and partner in the paranormal, Paul. So today, uh, we bring you two disclosure activists who'd believe that, uh, well... They have at least some of the answers. And uh, we welcome your emails because we cannot take calls today. That's paul at behindtheparanormal.com for those. Okay. Uh, Dr. Lisa, Lisa Galarno, who does not seem to be with us just yet, is an experiencer, anthropologist, and a futurist with more than 25 years' experience in the tech industry in research, design, and development. She started her career in the U.S. Ar- in U.S. Army intelligence uh, as a Russian voice interpreter. She holds degrees in anthropology. Interceptor. I beg your pardon. Interceptor. Thank you, Ben. You're welcome. She holds degrees in anthropology, education, and screen and media studies. Mm-hmm. Russell Kalka is a business development executive in the, tech, in the technology field, the son of a science teacher and grandson of a UFO enthusiast. Uh, Russ has had a lifelong interest in that subject. Uh, Russ and Lisa are co-founders of the Disclosure Activists. Their website is disclosureactivists.org. So Russ and, well, Russ, <laughs> we'll, we'll welcome Lisa a bit later, but welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you, Ben, and thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here with you on this, uh, well, what appears to be a nice sunny Sunday here in New York. Yeah, it's a sunny yeah. Sunday for us as well. So let's uh, start off... Let's let's start with a little, you know, from the basis. So, Russ, let's start with the UFO experience your stepfather told you about. What happened? Uh, step, let me just clarify. It's my step-grandfather. Ah, uh, step-grandfather. Oh, okay. Sorry so, about that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That's Who hires great. these so, producers, man? Um, yeah, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So, I'm in my 32nd year of life, and uh, I, my interest into this phenomenon, um, or you could say issue, began when I was about eight or nine years old, and... Um, you know, as you had stated in the opening intro, uh, my mother's been a science teacher for a very long time, and her father, my first grandfather, had a very deep interest in this field from a civilian standpoint. So I would say that this whole issue of the extraterrestrial phenomenon sort of courses through my blood with the sciences. Um, and then my my first grandfather had passed away when I was young, and my grandmother had remarried, uh, my step-grandfather. And my step-grandfather, uh, who's also passed away at this point, um, was a U.S. Air Force veteran, and he told me a story when I was 10 years old um, that he was at Laredo Air Force Base, which is, has been a defunct Air Force Base for quite some time, and he was about with, I want to say, five or six other crew members in a C-137 transport plane. It was a Boeing Stratoliner. Um, I'm not sure if they still use that in production today. No, it's a big uh, plane. He was down the, yeah, it's a big plane, big, big, big cargo plane, and he was doing reconnaissance. Uh, during the tail end of the Korean War. So the Korean War is from 50 to 53, I believe. Yes. Um, and I think it was about third or fourth quarter uh, in 53, so it's definitely the tail end of it. And he was stationed here, obviously, down at Laredo, and he was doing reconnaissance from Texas to, to Louisiana on a very just a very simple mission uh, when a craft had fl- flew out of the sky um, and circled their aircraft for about what seemed like 30 seconds, maybe a little bit longer, and then disappeared. You know, there's stories like this all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he landed uh, with his other crew members, they were debriefed by what we like to refer to as Alphabet City, um, which is your typical CIA, NSA, all the different uh, acronyms and letters you can think of. Yes. Um, 
and he was sworn to secrecy through signed affidavits and death threats. And obviously, you know, this is, was an older man at the time when he remarried, and, you know, he saw my interest in this, uh, you know, which, which stemmed from a couple years prior, um, and just thought, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell this guy. I'm going to tell my little, you know, step-grandson and, and see what happens. And that's really what, what propelled me uh, down a, a, a rabbit hole, if you will. Yes. Uh, to talk to different people, read different documentaries, see different movies, read all these different books, um, and really separate as best as I possibly could the wheat from the shaft, because when you're talking about a topic like this, there's a lot of disinformation that it's hard to really delineate what's real and what's not sometimes, but I, I do the best I can. Okay. Uh, ben, why don't you... Uh, well, we'll have to skip the Lisa question at this point. Well, yes. So, who is Steve Barrett, and how did you get involved Steve with Steve Bassett. Him? Steve Bassett. I'm sorry. Barrett. Jeez, where, where that Steve? came from. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sunday. It's okay. I'll let you get away with it. Thank you. Um, so, so, Steve, uh, yeah, Steve is a one-man show, and as you know, I'm sure he's been on the show before with you guys. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He's uh, executive director of Paradigm Research Group, and I actually started with... Uh, a couple of years ago during uh, his foray into congressional committees, um, he we formed a group, and I wasn't the key former of that group. It was called the Disclosure Lobby. It was a big lobbyist group on Facebook, and it was part and parcel to Steve's uh, role with trying to lobby uh, Congress to, you know, do what they can to hold meetings for the ET presence. And he held a big, big conference in, uh, I think it was 2013, called the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure. And the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure spanned a couple of days. Uh, 30 hours of testimony was devoted to what we call the Rockefeller Initiative, which is a key part of what I call the disclosure timeline of events, which is why I believe there are hints being dropped that the government are keen to see disclosure. And so, you know, I... I sort of befriended Steve at that point and said, look, you know, I'm an activist. I need to get involved with this based off my interest level, and here's how I'm going to start to do it. And Lisa and I actually met in the disclosure lobby, which was, gee, about 14,000 strong. And granted, most of that group, three-quarters of it, was just a bunch of nonsense, you know, people posting all these different things about the Anunnaki and ancient aliens, and it's just stuff that really muddies the waters when you talk about this stuff. Hmm. Um, But that's really where we met. Uh, Steve and I, and we've kept the relationship ever since. And Steve is actually in very, very big support of our presence. Um, you know, we like to refer to ourselves as the new millennial vanguard of the ET issue. And um, we're doing everything we can in our power to unify UFO groups around the country and around the world as there's a lot of disparate groups out there. That we want to break down the silos as best as we possibly can. Um, and we've done a lot, uh, the disclosure activists, in just a short amount of time since our inception. Okay. So, I guess this gets to the definition of disclosure. So, what is it? <laughs> That's a good question. So, a couple things here. Uh, disclosure, big D, and little d are two different things, right? I'm sure you've heard Steve talk about this before. So, little mm-hmm. d, with a little little disclosure, is all about just leaking stuff out, you know, through Hollywood, through books, through movies. Big D, what we're trying to get to, those aspirations of a government-acknowledged announcement of the ET presence that's been engaging the human race. Now, I will probably tell you, first and foremost, that disclosure has most likely already happened and has been happening for quite some time. People tend to get things mixed up a little bit. I think what we're after, what the world is sort of thirsting for, uh, Paul and Ben, is this notion of confirmation, 
right? Disclosure has been there. We already know ET is real. I mean, it's just it's silly that people even think it's not. Um, and what I think we want is just confirmation by our governing bodies that what we've known all along is, yeah, it's actually true, right? And I will say that the government's done an okay job of keeping it secret for different reasons, and I think national security certainly played a part back in the 40s and 50s when they probably had no idea what in the world they were dealing with. Um, and and I, I would posit that maybe today they still have a little bit of an idea what they're dealing with because it's such a complex issue, but at least they know more now than they did back then. Um, but there, it, there has been an effort over the last uh, decade that people within military intelligence that hold the ET issue very close to their chest, and, and mind you, the ET issue resides under what we call the USAPs, the Unacknowledged Special Access Projects. And there's a difference between SAPs and USAPs. And, and a special access project is if, you know, I am working on something specific and one of you guys come and ask me, hey, is there such a thing about this project, so forth and so on, my answer to you would be, yeah, there's such a project, but I'm not going to tell you anything about it because you're not read into it. The unacknowledged special access project, if I'm working on one of those and you happen to ask me, I have to flat out lie about it and say no such project actually exists. And that's the difference between the two of those different things. And the ET issue is under the latter, the unacknowledged. Mm. But I think what's happening here is those people that are responsible for the ET issue at the Pentagon are trying to get this information out to the public. But there's a caveat here. They don't want their fingerprints all over it. And that's kind of an impossible test because how could you not have your fingerprints all over it? You were involved in this embargo for 70-plus years. So what they're doing is, through John Podesta, through Hillary Clinton, through George Bush, through Bill Clinton, through uh, these three other people we found out through WikiLeaks, they're trying their best to do what they can do to get that information out. And I think people have been getting that information piecemeal over the many years, and my job, at least from a, let's call it business development perspective, is to try and stitch all of those different pieces together holistically so that the public has the full story and the public can act. Because I'll tell you this, we as a society will not get confirmation by our government of an ET presence unless the public stands up and acts on it. And only then can the media get unleashed by this collar that they've been choked by for so long. And then the Pentagon will have the motivation that they need to be able to cut a deal with the White House to make a disclosure announcement because the Pentagon cannot disclose on their own. It would be high treason. And the, the White House cannot disclose on their own unless they have a backing by the Pentagon who holds this information close to their chest. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Well, one of the one of the things that we all that we always get into conversations with Steve Bassett about are what if what you're what is trying to be disclosed is not what we expect. See, it's easy to to think, okay, well, there's an ET presence, yes, they're from other planets, that's cool and all. But what if it's not that? What if, what if it's what if it's something different? Maybe the reason why it's not disclosed is because it's something we can't comprehend. Uh, that's a good point that you raised. 
So uh, over the years, I've come to the understanding that the ET issue is a super severe complex issue. It's not just about, hey, there's aliens on other planets. A lot of this has to do uh, with the consciousness level. Um, and that, that is through different things that I've read through, through Ben Rich, who used to be the head of Lockheed Skunk Works, talking about how it's all connected through ESP and consciousness. So I do uh, value your notion that there's a lot more to this than just aliens visiting the planet. But what we need to do is get to the very basic, bare bones of this, is that, yes, E.T. has been visiting here. Now, there could be other things that are tied into that that are very sinister. There could be things that are not so good. But there are things that we've learned over the many years being human that there are not so good things. We've learned about the Holocaust and how grotesque that was. Uh, we've learned about Vietnam. There are a lot of things out there that are just not good things. Um, if we came to find out post-disclosure that aliens and humans were operating on humans as sort of guinea pigs in test labs in Dulce, New Mexico, then so be it. Those are things we're going to have to swallow. Uh, but I think in order for us to move forward as a species, we need to know that we are engaged with beings from other worlds. And we need to know that our best interests are within those beings' agenda because I will tell you this, speaking to Edgar Mitchell, reading emails, things of that nature, if they were malevolent, these beings, we most likely would have been gone a long time ago. Um, and the fact that we haven't been and the fact that they've been caught shutting down our nuclear missile sites, which is extreme information and a lot of evidence pointing to the ET presence, it would have been a bad situation. Um, instead, a disclosure announcement by our government would transcend every possible issue on this planet from a socioeconomical perspective, from a religious perspective, from a financial perspective. I mean, you can go on and on. It covers the, the, the gamut of all the issues that, 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 that are on this world. And, and again, they've been hinting at this stuff ever since. It's just people are not not standing up. And I think one thing I want to say to you, to you and your audience that are listening here is that with any activist movement that's out there, people's voices obviously do make a change. And I want to say a quote here that, that you may or may not remember. But there's a UFO film producer out there by the name of James Fox. And James mm -hmm. Fox uh, did two incredible documentaries years, I think a little over a decade ago, actually, probably around 2008 if my year is correct. But one, the first one was called Out of the Blue. And the second one followed was called I Know What I Saw. And I'm going to get to a point here. When Out of the Blue finished wrapping up its production and went to DVDs, James Fox had the responsibility of himself going to the Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. We like to call it Inside the Beltway. And he handed out copies of Out of the Blue to all of the House members on the Hill and even sent personalized letters to the House members' chief of staff. And during that time, it took him about a week to do all of that. And during that time, he spoke with many of those chief of staff. Some of them knew a little bit about the ET issue, but most of them really had no inkling whatsoever, just like your typical Joe on the street, just didn't know anything about the ET issue, didn't care for it. But he spoke with one of these chief of staff, and I, I can't, the guy's name escapes me, but he said to James Fox, he said, look, and let me just preface here, the goal of James Fox at that point was to try to assemble and gain momentum from people on the Hill to assemble this administration to look into the ET issue, right? But one of these chief of staff said to James Fox, and I'm trying to, I'm going to paraphrase here, but he said, look, we cannot touch this subject at all 
unless the general public, our constituents, actually force us to do it. They've got to get involved. And only when that situation occurs, we will have the momentum we need to assemble an administration to look into this. And that is a key point. And that's what's been missing from this disclosure advocacy movement this entire time. There's always been a bunch of people like Dr. Greer and Stephen Bassett and Linda Moulton Howe and, uh, and George Knapp and George Nori and Art Bell and all, all these different people on their own have been taking their own different tracks in life and own different paths trying to do it. But it's got to be a broader movement. And okay. once that broader movement occurs, we're going to be okay and we're going to get the announcement we need. All right. Well, everything, uh, you, everything you say, Russ, is very, very plausible, very sensible. But there may be other levels in operation here that our discussion has not yet touched upon. One of these is that uh, our information regarding the the benign um, activity of of whoever this is on uh, missiles, nuclear nuclear weapons, is that that not only have some been deactivated, some have been retargeted, and we've never been able to find out retargeted to where. It's a very sobering and rather frightening. Uh, level uh, of this discussion, and, and we we just don't. That, that's the information we have from some high-ranking officers. Well, I th- I think the thing here is we as humans it, throughout our our entire history have loved to you know anth- anthropomorphize things so that we can co- understand what we're dealing with, and I think it's unfair to creatures that aren't human to apply human motives and agendas to them. So I think. The, the point here is we can't really know what something that isn't human wants. I mean, there's there's all sorts of ideas from people like, oh, they're here to help us. Oh, they're here to destroy us. Um, I like, I like uh, uh, crap, can't remember his name. Uh, guy did the photo book. Stan Friedman. Stan Friedman had a, had a quote that I really enjoy, which was, if aliens did indeed visit us, really all they'd see are a bunch of warring tribes. So... Here's a question. Why should they care about us? So, we are a very fickle and unique species. I think, for the most part, from what I've seen and the people that I've spoken to, and this is a very deep, deep conversation and very deep question because there's a lot of nonsense out there where, you know, and I'll just use the Assad Syria thing as an example. You know, everyone has heard of false flags before. Um, you know, it's, it's to my assessment, and whether I'm right or wrong, it's just an opinion of mine. I don't believe Assad gassed those people at all. It, it wasn't his, in his strategic interest to do it, especially when they were having peace talks that eve. I think we're trying to get involved in another war. I think why E.T. would be interested in us is, by simple definition, we're an interesting species. We have emotion. From what I've read, a lot of some of these E.T.s that have been visiting us over the years haven't been able to trigger that emotive sense in themselves. Um, they see the love that we have within us. I think there are more good on this planet than there's bad. But I'm an optimist. I- I'm an optimist. Yes, you certainly are. May I interrupt you, please, I- Russ? Uh, our other guest has joined us, uh, Dr. Lisa Galarno, your, your colleague. And Lisa, we int- introduced you in absentia. And um, why don't we go, well, I don't know, we're kind of burning up this hour here. We're talking, I don't know if you've been listening, Lisa, but we've been, t- welcome to the show, first of all. Yes. Thank you, and I'm sorry for being late. I was having some trouble with the phone number I was given, so 
Here I am. Oh, yeah, say no more. The New York traffic. Uh, that's yes. perfectly understandable. Uh, so we've been talking uh, a very inter- interesting discussion with Russ, who has explained what disclosure uh, is and uh, what uh, the, the need for people to demand it. But we have um, uh, thrown a few shoes into the into the gears here by. Um, by by asking about some of the things we talked about in our preliminary discussion uh, off the air, uh, and that's um, the the assumption that the what we consider a dangerous assumption that uh, whoever or whatever this is, first of all, would treat us as equals in any way. Secondly, thinks like we do, and have the same motivations, and thirdly, uh, would be um, well. Positive and and uh, optimistic and nice to us rather than uh, uh, something else. And we've discussed and Russ brought up uh, how missiles had been um, uh, allegedly uh, deactivated by uh, UFOs or their 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 pilots or whatever. Uh, and we brought up how our information was that some were retargeted, which is not a very positive uh, sort of. Um, spin on on that particular issue so that's where we are in our discussion lisa um would what do you have to say about uh, disclosure what it might do to society what and and the, the something we asked both of you before whether people can believe the government nobody believes the government and if they're told something about disclosure what makes you think that it's going to be uh, believable and whether it's going to be true uh, we'll start with Lisa because you haven't been so, on the discussion. So I'll let Lisa answer that since she's just coming on the show now, but I have something to say about that with believability within government because uh, it's both positive and negative, but I'll okay. let Lisa talk. Well, you. you will not be forgotten, Russ. Go ahead, Lisa. Well, let me just tell you, first of all, I have a different, uh, different approach and a different point of view on this. I am an experiencer since childhood. So my first experience that I remember was um, a couple of interdimensional beings who showed up in the bedroom in the middle of the night. Um, I had also been experiencing various other strange things um, that, you know, even at that age, I I understood quite well that those experiences weren't normal, if you will. Um, I was also raised on science fiction, my parents were interested in all sorts of fringe topics and um, actually took me to my first UFO event when I was about 9 or 10 years old. So it was very much part of my paradigm that there were realities beyond what I could normally experience with the five primary senses. Uh, but it remained very much a fringe interest for me. When I was about 15, I had an out-of-body experience in the middle of the day uh, that was quite profound. Um, It's since been explained to me that it was a holographic projection of sorts that was meant to remind me that, yes, there are other realities to experience. And in my previous incarnations, I have, in fact, occupied some of those realities. I spent a bit of time in, the, uh, in South America, uh, where I also had a pretty profound UFO sighting there. Um, and then I was in the military for a while. I was a Russian linguist in the Army. Um, but I got out early. I ended up at UC Berkeley, where I worked for a ufologist for a short period of time, which, again, was, you know, just one of my sort of hobby activities. Um, I've spent 
since then about 25 years in the tech arena, um, doing research, web development, web design, pretty much everything internet that you can possibly imagine. Um, and these experiences haven't been something that I've been all that comfortable talking about because of the potential impact on my professional life. However, in the last 10 years or so, um, I've also developed uh, what you might call a telepathic connection with beings who profess to be my soul family or my star family, if you will. And you believe who, them. Um, it is a very strange phenomenon. Now, I'm going to tell you that I am fundamentally a skeptic. I mean, I'm a trained social scientist. I, um, you know, have, have spent so much time in the, in the tech arena interfacing with people who are very technical, very scientific, and often very skeptical. But what I've also found is that they tend to be quite closed-minded about anything they consider not explicitly provable using the scientific method. Now, if you think about the scientific method, it's actually based on a few fundamental values, if you will, that a phenomenon must be observable, again, using the five primary senses, it must be predictable, it must be repeatable, and uh, it must be quantifiable in some way. Um, so many of these experiencer accounts um, and even, you know, eyewitness testimonies and all of the other abundance of evidence there is about mm -hmm. this phenomenon tend to be things that could be considered um, entirely subjective. And because they're subjective experiences, they cannot satisfy the scientific method, which is Correct. why you have a huge number of people who, you know, I think should be very curious and very interested in these phenomena. Just All right, well, 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 let's try and stick to so because we have very little time, and uh, everything you say is interesting, uh, Lisa. But I, I wanted to get Russ in here to talk about uh, his response to the questions we asked, which were the honesty of the government, whether whether people can believe what they're told, and whether even if the government believes it, it's true. But we should go. To oh, actually, oh, you're first. right. We, we have our break. Well, let's let's yes. think about those those questions as we take our brief break. You're listening to listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON twelve forty in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our guests Russell Kalka and Dr. Lisa Galarno. Stick with us. Hi, this is Joe Callahan. Join me weekday mornings 5 to 8 for the ON Morning Fun Show. We'll have local news, state news, national news, Lou Mandeville on sports, great music, fun features, and trivia. Weekday mornings 5 to 8 on ON 1240, WON, One Socket Radio. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. We're continuing our discussion of UFO disclosure. What is it? Is it wise? Who's right about, you know, what's going on and all this sort of stuff. So uh, we'll talk about our charities that we've adopted on the show uh, during our announcement period. But right now, let's get back to uh, Russ Kalka, our guest, uh, our two, uh, one of our two guests here, uh, to respond to the questions we had posed earlier about the honesty of government, whether if they do tell us that uh, these things can be confirmed about alien visitors, this sort of thing, can we believe it? Russ, take it, take it away. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, you raise a good point about honesty, 
the one thing I'll tell you as an American is that certainly we're a great country. Um, I don't think we're up to the standards of still being the best country in the world anymore. And I'm a patriot. I just love my country. There's a lot of wrong that goes on, and that comes from a very governmental perspective as well. Um, what I will tell you is this. Even though that there's a stereotype that kind of animates throughout the world about governments being corrupt, and while that may be true, 100% of the government is not corrupt. There is a good portion that is. And I think what people don't realize what's happening right now in today's world is that there's a massive internal U.S. intelligence war going on between the CIA, NSA, FBI. There are good men and women that are that are situated in the positions throughout the CIA and intelligence agencies that are trying to do good by this. Um, and we know this through the WikiLeaks emails. We know this through things that have been going on. Um, we know that... There are also bad people that have kind of been capitulating certain things throughout the time. What I can tell you is, is that I don't think it's my assessment, and I'm not going to be speculative because I hate to use that word, I hate to be that thing, but I don't think that our government has a full, full, full grasp over this phenomenon. I don't think anybody does. I think there are things that we do know, and I think there are other many things that we do not know. But I think that they believe, the government, that we've been visited for quite some time. And there's a lot of evidence to just prove this. I mean, we just we just wrote a manifesto um, and sent it out. We just had a big press release also come out about us that we put out on Pierre Webb uh, back, I want to say, a week and a half, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. That kind of points people towards this evidence. I mean, it's, it, it, it's clear that we've been visited. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but the whole honesty thing is they want, they've been caught with their pants down. People all over the world, and again, this goes back to consciousness, are growing up. People's brains are opening up, for that matter, all over the world. People are seeing craft that may or may not be man-made, may or may not be extraterrestrial. I think a lot of the ET craft that we see in our skies today are reverse engineered through Lockheed, Skunk Works, Boeing, Phantom Works, North Grumman, but there is a small percentage that still is ET. Now, there, you know, certain people have ideas on how to delineate one from the other, and Lisa could talk about that at some point, but what what I can tell you is this, and this is a cold hard fact, if they didn't think that E.T. didn't exist at all, and they weren't believers of that, then they wouldn't go through the rigmarole to get this out to the public. They would just keep it buried. It's never been a cover-up. Everyone's always used this word, there's been a UFO cover-up. It's never been a cover-up. It's the wrong term. It has been a truth embargo, similar to Cuba. They know that it's real, or certain aspects of it are real. They know that it's been here. They know that it's engaged with us, but they're not going to go there. They're not going to talk about it until the time is right. And that time is now. And what we know through the WikiLeaks emails, Paul and Ben, is that there is a group of people at the Pentagon, I want to say a group of ten people, that were assigned to ex-rocker Tom DeLong of Blink-182. And three of those names of those people leaked out over the net through WikiLeaks. Two of those people are the most highest-ranking members of the military you can come across. One of those guys, General Neil McCaslin, who is now in the private sector, you can find him on LinkedIn, I suggest not to email him, but uh, he was the guy, the commander that oversaw the Air Force Research Laboratory at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where allegedly, when Roswell happened, those ET bodies were shipped. You probably know the story. Yes. The other, the, the other guy, General Michael Carey, who's been a disgraced Air Force veteran, he, you know, he was running the ICBM program um, 
And for those that don't know that, that's the Intercontinental Ballistic Missile Program for the Air Force, and he got caught somewhere in Europe getting drunk with prostitutes or something along that line, and he got uh, thrown out of the Air Force. He also happened to write the book, uh, or, or the forward for that matter, excuse me, for Tom DeLonge's Secret Machine. And he also was the special assistant to the commander of U.S. Space Command. These are extremely important men. And the other guy that really caught my attention, which I think is beyond a shadow of a doubt, his name is Rob Weiss. And Rob Weiss is the executive vice president and general manager currently of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works. Now, for those that don't know of your listeners, Lockheed Martin is the largest military defense contractor in the world. And Skunk Works is the secretive research and development arm of Lockheed that built the SR-71 and U-2 spy planes for the U- for the uh, CIA. And Skunk Works was actually also contracted by the CIA to build Area 51. And so what you have here is the head of classified programs at Area 51 reaching out in emails asking Tom DeLong about how the meeting has been going. And the meeting that I'm talking about is a, a Google Hangout meeting that occurred between Weiss, General uh, uh, McCasland, General Carey, uh, Tom DeLong, and John Podesta uh, back in 2016 about how disclosure should actually go down. And, um, and, and, and General McCasland actually writes a memo in his own thoughts to Tom DeLong about how this actually should happen. And he goes on to say how NASA should be taking control of this because it's in their job jar, that the administration of the White House favor, uh, favors a public affairs approach. Um, you know, you should get the DOD and the DNI and the NOAA involved. I mean, this is a huge undertaking. And then we have two days after Clinton loses the election, Steve Bassett and the Paradigm Research Group get a one-directional text message on the Signal app, which is an encrypted app, and we know now that the CIA infiltrated that app as well, but he got a message from somebody that he's vetted over the last 20 years, and this person sits in the highest level of military intelligence at the Pentagon and actually sits on a team of people I was referring to earlier that manage the ET issue at the Pentagon and the Black Budget Program. And this person said to Steve that the time is now, under Obama, that if we can create a situation where the Secretary of Defense is approached by X, you know, XYZ person, I think that person was referring to the media, but if a situation was created where the sex death is approached and the Secretary of Defense is not read into the ET issue and has no idea about any of this, if he gets asked a question by the media, hey, you know, what, what's going on with the ET issue? Is there, you know, we heard about the nuclear missiles. We heard about this. We heard about that. We heard about Roswell. If that would be happened or created, then the people that sit under the Secretary of Defense are ready and willing to give the resources and support that the Secretary of Defense needs to go to the White House, tell the President, whether it's Trump or Obama, it doesn't make a difference, that, hey, this is real, the time is coming, people know the gate, you know, the, the uh, whole jig is up, let's just tell them that it's real. And okay, Russ, right let me, <clears throat> I hate to stop because it's really fascinating. We, we've heard a lot of this, uh, but I think we're going to have to do another show to get all this information in here. Let me tell you both why we are very nervous about all this, whether it will be accurate, whether it will be uh, accurate, even though they may think it's accurate, they being government uh, releasers of information that, that may, be, may qualify for the term disclosure. Uh, like, like Lisa... Um, we, from the viewpoint of a paranormal investigation, are experiencers too. 
but what we've experienced from quote unquote aliens, it, it, and uh, when I that has to be a qualified statement, we have to define what, what we mean by ETs and aliens. Uh, the, the term extraterrestrial may, may have no meaning anymore in, in view of quantum mechanics and what it says about the fabric of reality. Um, our, for, with our point of view, we go into quote unquote haunted houses. I've done this for 47 years. And I have met what can only be described as, as folklore calls them demons. There are life forms that, that qualify for that. And uh, I've been have had physical uh, struggles with one, uh, on, actually on two cases. And uh, these things are pretty pretty wild and pretty out there. The parasites, as we call them, that we experience sometimes will masquerade as aliens. This has become so well-known in the UFO community that some major names uh, work with us when they have abduction victims who claim they're being abducted by aliens uh, who are suddenly having poltergeist activity in their houses, suddenly having, quote-unquote, demonic activity in their houses. I'd like to get your response to this because we do not trust any information that comes out of the ET source or the ET community, regardless of the good intentions or the rose-colored glasses, we think that it is very reckless and very dangerous from our own point of view, limited as it may be, to assume these things are good, that they will treat us as equals, that the government even has the, the whole story. Why do we keep running into the government, or what seems to be the government and or the military, in what we call flap areas, where you have not only UFOs, but quote-unquote ghosts, Bigfoot, Anything you can call paranormal, even things that don't have names yet, they're there. There has to be something deeper here. I don't know, Ben, if you wanted to add to that before they get a chance to respond. Well, I'd I'd like to like to just qualify quickly that I think I, I agree wholehearted, wholeheartedly with this, and I think that even if there's you know good good sources within the government like that have the best intentions, I don't think that it's smart to think that they're even given the whole story themselves because if there's a narrative that's being spun the trick is you send inaccurate information from accurate sources and inaccurate information or uh to or I'm sorry accurate information through inaccurate sources so we're in that military intelligence training so essentially well, everyone loves a mystery right they there's they keep you looking one way while what's actually going on is going on the other direction or above you or behind you or wherever Really, we can't know what's going on. I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's smart to assume that the. Or, or I don't. I don't think it's safe to assume that the that the government does know what's going on because maybe they don't. Maybe what we're running to isn't the government. Maybe we're running into some sort of organization that is entirely separate from the government. I don't know. What say there, you? There's this? a lot to do with bugs whoa, whoa, too. Whoa, so whoa, go whoa, ahead, whoa. please. Both of you can respond. Yeah, no, 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 no. This is all good stuff. This is a great conversation. And, and I said from the outset that I don't believe the government has 100% knowledge as to what's going on. What I did say is that I am fully confident that what they do know is going on is that since 1947, and even before that, obviously this can go down the whole ancient alien path where we've been visited, you know, a whole millennia ago, and then it stopped for some time. And then you have these experiencers. I'm not an experiencer myself. Maybe one day I will be. But I have a, a lot of respect for that. Uh, community because they're experiencing things that a lot of other people don't. But way to go, Lisa. You know, but uh, but there there certainly was a craft that that crashed in 1947 in Roswell. Uh, they certainly uh, put that information out uh, in a newspaper and then quickly retracted it because they didn't realize what they were dealing with. 
and they kept it secret. And I think it was it was Ben that was talking before about maybe some quasi-government agency that we don't even know about. It could be government or agency XYZ that's actually holding this. We do know that through through documents that there was a Majestic 12 organization that has grown uh, exponentially larger than 12 people over the years. There could absolutely be some sort of malevolent theme to this. You know, the universe is yin and yang. It's not all hunky-dory. Um, but this is all types of things that will get figured out at some point. And the truth of the matter is there might be things in that realm that people don't want to hear, people don't want to face, but we're going to have to. And the only way that this civilization, that human society, will extend ourselves into the solar system, into the universe, the only way we will evolve as a species the right way is to know that there are beings, sentient, intelligent beings that have been engaged with us, whether from the right aspect or the wrong aspect, there is intelligent life. And the fact that we've wasted billions of dollars over the years on sending rocket ships up to the moon and claiming that we've never been to Mars, I can tell you that there are people out there like astronauts, like Edgar Mitchell and Brian O'Leary. Yeah, we know Edgar uh, Mitchell. Uh, Werner, and, and Werner von Braun. Werner von Braun, who was the, you know, the master of modern rocketry, who came over here via Operation Paperclip. I mean, this is one of the smartest guys that ever lived. He basically sat on his deathbed and said, listen, they're, they're, they're going to hoax an ET invasion. They're going to do it with terrorists first. They're going to do it with third world countries. They're going to do it with this person. And then the last card that they're going to hold in their back pocket is a hoax alien invasion. And they're going to do it to weaponize space. So well, an, 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 excellent, Russ. And I just, I just, uh, you know, that's very plausible, a very, very sensible response. I want to give Lisa a chance to get in here. Uh, Lisa, what, what's Sorry, your reaction I'm to all this? your thunder. No, no, just, uh, the show's too short. No, it's quite all right, but I do I do want to point a couple of things out. So there are several key assumptions that we're making as a culture that affect the believability, if you will. Um, one of the core assumptions is what I refer to as the scientific truth embargo, which is essentially throwing out a huge body of evidence because it doesn't conform to the scientific method. But the other thing that we tend to do is we tend to look at ourselves as a civilization in development. And we tend to say, well, because we're like this, because we, you know, support capitalism and we destroy and we exploit and we don't really care about one another, that that is somehow fundamental to the nature of all beings in the cosmos. That no being would have any interest in us other than to exploit us in some way or to use us as a slave species. Now, that has certainly been true, but the cosmos is very much like our own planet. We have so many wonderful people doing wonderful things with the best of intentions. We have a lot of people across all religious um, description who are incredibly spiritual and abide by what you might call the golden rule, which is to treat one another, you know, in ways that are positive. But we do have a contingent that's negative. And if you look at, at just our world in that sense, and you extrapolate to the wider cosmos, there are good guys and there are bad guys. And what I will tell you, because I know we don't have very much time, but you, uh, your listeners could dig into some of our articles and other evidence on our website. Yes, but please tell us where, about your websites and, and where people can find out more. Here, we're at the disclosureactivist.org, so that's sort of our portal site. We're also on the Medium platform, and we have 20 or 30 articles there. 
by various members of our activist community. There are several articles uh, that I've written, and I dive pretty deep in, based on my experiences into who ET is and what ET's agenda is. Um, I will tell you that from their point of view, we're in the midst of what you might consider a holocaust. I can tell you they also believe that as our galactic neighbors, we require mentorship and leadership, and this is mentorship that we have received from them throughout time, throughout the millennia, uh, in terms of uh, helping our civilizations grow. But there have been a number of factions involved, and certainly a lot of this negative stuff that you're talking about absolutely does happen. There are entities on the astral plane who are able to cross the dimensional veil, and some of them do really messed up things, you know, which is some of the stuff I think you've probably experienced with your paranormal and, 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 and ghost uh, project. But what I will say is that in order for civilizations to advance in the cosmos, they have to become spiritual beings. And becoming spiritual beings means um, having a commitment to service to others instead of simply having a commitment to being in service to self. You know, we often talk about things like, you know, how could he be getting to us? Well, you know, you mentioned quantum physics before. You know, the math and the equations, everything we know about quantum physics suggests the possibility that we live in a multiverse, that there are other dimensional realities, some of which neighbor ours. Uh, and it also seems clear that, you know, we, via our consciousness development, are ourselves ascending into a different sort of reality. Um you know, I have been in telepathic contact with these beings now for almost 10 years. I will tell you that my contact experiences are actually very positive and very hopeful. And, um, you know, from their point of view, they very much want to help us get out of the situation that we're in. And they've been engaged with humanity for quite some time now and with people like me, for instance, in order to get this message across. But this isn't the only place this message shows up, um, you know, via individuals. If you look, for instance, at the crop formations, of which there have been um, at least 10,000 in 50 countries, the symbolism that's inherent in a lot of those designs goes back to sacred geometry and various spiritual traditions. So this is a question of connecting a whole bunch of dots and realizing that we do have value to our cosmic neighbors, if you want to call them that, that isn't just about the resources we have on our planet or whether or not we might taste good if they chose to eat us. Uh, you know, in order for these civilizations to advance, they have to um, embrace and embrace values, you know, that, that we all cherish as well, that are values around altruism and cooperation and abundance thinking and, you know, not getting mired in these systems, you know, that involve uh, oligarchs who really only want what's good for themselves. So I'll leave it at that. Okay, fair so, enough. And I just want to, just wanted to jump in there for a second, being that we have about uh, five or ten minutes left. So the one, the one thing I want to say is that this is all great stuff. Um, coming, as, as Lisa mentioned before, we, we both function really well with one another because she comes from a different point of view and I come from a different point of view and they sure. both seem, seem to, 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 to intersect which makes us very unique um, what I will say is that 
I've had the opportunity and the privilege of talking to two Pulitzer Prize journalists from the New York Times, and I've actually met with another one. I sat with him for coffee in the New York Times building since I live in New York City. I sat with him for 30 minutes. We had coffee. And like, you know, he had me come in and show him the Rockefeller Initiative documents to convince him that this was going on. Uh, and he was convinced so much that he had a follow-up conversation for an hour to get more information. And he was very serious about writing a piece about the Clintons and their role in the Rockefeller Initiative and actually interviewing some of the private citizen principals. Unfortunately, this gentleman who uh, has been with the Times for 20 years has disappeared. Um, I don't mean physically. He's still there, but he has not returned any of our calls. I've also spoken with, and I'll say this on air, I've spoken with Maureen Dowd of the New York Times, um, and I've spoken with Ralph Blumenthal of the New York Times, who's retired. He's writing a book about John Mack, and I wish him very well on that. Dr. John Mack of uh, Harvard University, who believed in uh, Uh, abductions. John Mack was, yep, John Mack was on the right path. And I'll tell you this, there is extreme interest uh, from the highest levels of institutions like the New York Times that want to do this. They want to talk about it. But they're being held back by their editorial board, and it's a serious, it's a serious uh, a breach. And there's been a serious uh, constitutional breach in the country as well, where the issue has been taken out from underneath the White House. They know nothing about this. Um, and, you know, we are trying to take a very journalistic-based strategy or discourse to change things in this country. We're going after the media, because there's a lot of nonsense political fear that's going on that's distracting the heck out of the uh American uh, uh, public, while the rest of the world is looking and sort of laughing. And we're trying to change that kind of sentiment. We're trying to appeal not just to the UFO community, because the UFO community already buys into this stuff. They already believe it. They're already experiencers. We're trying to appeal to the people that are not UFO community members. Those are the people that need to know what's going on. and I will tell you that there's going to be a big announcement in a couple of weeks uh, via Tom DeLong. I think he's going to do something with Steven Spielberg's Emblem Entertainment, although I can't be for sure, so don't quote me on that. But there's going to be a movie and a documentary coming out talking about this. Now, to, to your point earlier, they very well might try to spin the narrative, absolutely. But you know what? The truth is I don't really care anymore. I think what we just want to know as a society is that what we've already known for so long is 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 confirmed true. And what you're seeing in the news right now is a rapid, rapid increase of stories coming out. I mean, all of a sudden, NASA finds this solar system where seven planets are habitable for life. And just the other day, they find an atmosphere that's suitable for life. I mean, these things are coming out faster than you could drink a glass of water. And what they're trying to do is acclimate people. They've been doing it for a very long time. And the whole idea of these alien invasion movies are starting to dwindle down where you have a movie like The Arrival that's come out, which always talks about the language barrier. Outstanding and, film. And they, yeah. out, I, I've never seen it, but I've heard, I, 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 I'm dying to see it. I just haven't had a time Oh, you yet, should. You're starting to see these things pop up, which means that something is going on. And I think, to your point, do we really want to know? I think, yeah, I think people are dying and thirsting for the... Our okay. governing body. Russell, we're going to have to stop you there because we're out of time. But uh, great discussion. Thank you, Dr. Lisa Galarno and Russ Kalka. We're going to do this again. And um, I hope you're right, and good luck with your work. We'll talk to you very soon. Thank you so much for having us on your show. Okay, very good. Ben, take it away. Well, we have a plethora of announcements to get to. 
Starting off our first our or our first book together, our new book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong is in most bookstores, and if they don't have it, they can get it. It's also available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online retailers. But if you're really serious, you can get an autograph, autographed copy at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And our new, our next event, I should say, is the uh, New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, on Saturday, April 29th. Uh, there will be many ge- great speakers there, including our frequent co-host, uh, Shane Searway, and our good friends, Tom D'Agostino and Arlene Nicholson. On Saturday, May 6th, uh, we offer a double feature, so to speak, in Connecticut. Uh, we'll address the Connecticut chapter of the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, at 11 a.m., uh, then airport ourselves across the Connecticut River to South Windsor, uh, where we will present at the new home of the Book Club Bookstore at 3 p.m. That's free and open to the public. And then there's the Saucer Symposium at the KRI Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire, on uh, May 20th and 21st, and we'll present on Saturday. Then on Sunday, we'll do the live show, noon to 1 p.m., much to my chagrin from that event, <laughs> with a panel of the speakers. Yeah, Ben has to produce it and takes uh, 10 years off his life. Uh, moving right along, we'll be back for a presentation at the wonderful Book Lovers Gourmet Bookstore and Cafe in Webster, Massachusetts, right here in our listening area, on Saturday, June 17th at 1 p.m. And that brings us to Saturday, June 24th, and it's back to the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut, where we will do something we've never done before, a presentation specifically for young people aged 7 to 14 years of age, the program Monster Hunters, a cryptozoology workshop with Paul and Ben Eno. And we uh, hope that our new book, Behind the Paranormal, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, will be ready for release at that event. Uh, then on July 27th, we'll present our program, What's Really Behind the Paranormal, at the Prospect Senior Center in Prospect, Connecticut, at 1 p.m. And this is open to the public. Uh, that'll bring us to August 18th and 20th, when Ben and I will speak at the Parayunity Conference in Felsmere, Florida. Uh, there are preliminary plans uh, to live broadcast the show from that event on uh, August 20th. I think that'll be uh, that will be a first in the 70 years of broadcasting here at ON to have a broadcast from that distance. But hey, we can do we can do it. Uh, uh, well, we, we'll we talk try about that off the air. Uh, so. Yes. Uh, our fall programs will include the Exeter UFO Festival, a special program in Litchfield, Connecticut in September, and the Greater New England UFO Conference in Leominster, Mass. in October. All terrific events. Uh, we're also going to be at the Portsmouth, you don't know this yet, Portsmouth Public Library in October, oh, New Hampshire. cool. Now I know. <laughs> they love you in New Hampshire, Ben. They love yes, you yes, right. yes. I love New Hampshire. All right. Uh, new events are being added frequently, so check our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, for frequent updates. So you can check out our YouTube channel, Behind the Paranormal Case Files, and our fourth video will eventually be here. Just bear with us, folks, and uh, it will be eventually there in our YouTube channel. You can find it by uh, going to Facebook, and you can check it out there, or just Google Behind the Paranormal, and you will find it. And uh, people often ask us, okay, where do we start you know, like to learn about your show and yourself and your events? Well, you'd go to the uh, website BehindTheParanormal.com, and there are over 700 free recorded shows from both ON 1240 here and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. There's also a link to our main site, NewEnglandGhosts.com. been up for many, many years, and there are some case histories uh, on that site that you might be interested in as well. Uh, these both these sites are are being redesigned, and uh, we hope to very soon get a very na- um, navigable and uh, what what's the uh, the cliche user friendly sites up there uh, for your uh, enjoyment. Uh, 
And uh, now you can find my other books at uh, Amazon.com, Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook, uh, such as uh, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, and one or two that don't have anything to do with the paranormal. Uh, if you buy those directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, we, uh, or I, in the case of um, these other books, will sign them for you, and you'll help us keep all those recorded shows free. Also on our websites, uh, you'll find lots of information about charities we've adopted, like USACares.org and uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Help for Haiti, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Ben, what do we have next week? Uh, well, we don't have a super-duper amount of time, but next Sunday, April 16th, we'll hear about the encounter with evil, uh, the St. Louis exorcism case on which the Exorcist movie was supposedly based. Our guest is Stephen Lachance, author of Confer- uh, Confrontation with Evil. Okay, and there's um, no more time, so I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal.